Last time on Colony Confidential. I will give Google credit. I really will because they're still maintaining a program that is designed for the local service contractor, local small business, right? You're, it's not built for a guy who's 100 miles away to then pick up that lead through some sort of offshore or uh, satellite location call center. It is designed for the guy who is within a 10-mile radius and actually does live and work in, in that city and has reviews that are coming from people that are like your neighbors. So I think the program's working. Home service contractors and business owners, I think they've fared pretty well during this whole pandemic, relatively speaking, compared to the restaurant and entertainment and the theaters and all that stuff. We're pretty lucky here at Search Kings do that, right? They get in with very little capital, especially in pest control. There's very little capital for a startup. You need a vehicle, you need minimal supplies that you could buy on the go. They may not pay attention to this. Yeah, they get a GMB, Google My Business page, but they don't pay attention to it. And I would just encourage everyone listening, start this from the beginning. Mr. Miss American, all the ships at sea, Zed Sheehan for Colony Confidential. We're very fortunate today that we have Professor Deanie Miller with us. She's a professor of urban entomology at Virginia Tech, specializing in my favorites, roaches and bed bugs. Not only is she a professor, Dini is your doctor, correct? This is Joey Buns, the brains. I help Ed out with a little bit, bring him up to speed. I first saw Dini speak when everybody was concerned about what pesticides were actually working. It's been a long journey, but as Ed said, she specializes in roaches, German cockroaches to be specific, and bed bugs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your students, who study in entomology, and what they plan to do with that education? I'm in the Department of Entomology, and entomology departments across the United States are really focused on agriculture. So most of the students that go into entomology usually have some interest in agriculture, and they're coming from possibly a um, farming background. And agricultural pests cost a lot of money. So if you're growing a bunch of peach trees and the brown marmorated stink bug comes in, you can have your entire crop damaged or destroyed. So most students are actually looking at ways of controlling pests in agriculture. And that's where the term integrated pest management came from. It was from agriculture originally because around the time that we were using DDT, we got in the habit of applying DDT over and over on a calendar-based basis, whether we really needed it or not. And then the pest became resistant. So suddenly we had killed all of those that were susceptible to DDT and all that was left were those that were not and DDT started to fail us. So that's what started integrated pest management is that farmers started going out, looking at their crops deciding if they had enough pests to make it worth the time and money of applying a pesticide. And if they didn't have enough bugs out there to cause damage to their crops come harvest time, they didn't apply anything anymore. So integrated pest management was really a resistance management method. And most of our students here at Virginia Tech are studying integrated pest management for agriculture. Now what's different with my students is yes, they study integrated pest management too, but the term was cut and pasted onto the urban environment. And one of the things that was totally lost was going out there and assessing the pest numbers before we decided to apply anything. And instead it's in the um, urban environment come to mean that, well, the resident has to clean first, that's the basis. 
of urban integrated pest management and then we go in there with all our tools and use it. So my students currently, I have a master's student who's looking at novel methodologies for dealing with bed bugs. And so he's looked at fumigation, he's investigating heat treatments, doing comparisons between these different heat treats, treatment systems, because some are way better than others at getting rid of bed bugs in a house, okay? And most people don't have any comparison. If you were gonna go out and buy a heat system, which one is the best? And most people can't tell you. He's studying heat treatments, he's studying the new fungal sprays for bed bugs and also looking at fumigation for bed bugs in chambers and in cars because we're ending up with bed bugs in cars. My other student, Morgan Wilson, she's looking at bed bug eggs specifically and their development. So what she's found out originally or what she's hypothesizing right now is that eggs that are older, that are closer to hatch time who have flipped, done their somersault in the egg, which is what they do as part of their development, are more susceptible to insecticide treatments than those that are younger. So what she's going to be investigating is looking at apprehend out in the field and also looking at fumigation out in the field and other pesticides that we use to get rid of bed bugs to see if eggs, especially these young eggs that are only a couple days old, have any susceptibility to these treatments or not. So it looks like fumigation uniformly will be the one that actually gets rid of all levels of the eggs. But we know that the eggs are less susceptible maybe to the fungal spore products and things like that too. And this is something we have to keep in mind. That means that we have to have return visits to homes where we do treatments if they had eggs there. So that's what they're working on right now. Bed bugs has been a big focus. I'm focused on cockroaches. My very first students, which was around the year 2000, all did subterranean termites because subterranean termites was the big topic. And because I'm 70% extension, I have to go with whatever pest is the big deal right now, because that's what people are calling me about and asking about. And after we came up with the non-repellent termiticides, then I had students that just worked on pest ants for a while. And then bed bugs took over the world. Yeah. And there we are. Aside from fumigation, it still seems like you really need to throw the kitchen sink at bed bugs and treat accordingly. We've always had a mandatory three treatments and we mix them. We do non-repellents and then a repellent and then a non-repellent mixed with some other stuff. Fumigation is not an option for us really in New York. We have a company here that we deal with that is a moving company and a fumigation company. That's always worked well in combination and really bad apartment buildings. Yeah, we're promoting because there's a lot of states that don't have drywood termites, which is really the big market in the southern states for fumigation, but doing chamber fumigation. So instead of preparation instructions, um, looking at fumigating those items, because a lot of people are being told to throw away and again, elderly people in particular, their family keepsakes and everything been told to throw that out. Well, fumigation in a chamber so let's say you have a pest control company that wants to build a chamber on their property. They can take all those personal items and furniture and move it in there, fumigate it, and not have to do the whole building. Treat the unit, the apartment unit, with spray formulations and stuff. 
And again, the issue with vehicles, it's just getting crazy out there, especially with all the lifts and Ubers and they have electronic devices in there. So it, they can't really be treated with heat. And then you can't use liquid sprays in there because you just can't get to a lot of the cracks and crevices where bed bugs are. So fumigation seems to be the answer for vehicles as well. Covering yeah. them up in tarps right in the driveway, do the fumigation. Really? Yeah. Yes. We're so unfamiliar with that up here in the Northeast. It's just not a thing. So we're talking about bed bugs. Let's just keep pace with that. What's going on with bed bugs and COVID? I've heard you speak about it a little bit. What, what has your experience been during the COVID crisis? One of the things that we're seeing, and this started before COVID, is that the bed bugs are really moving into elderly disabled housing. So we have a lot of elderly people that have tons of bed bugs now, and this has developed into several problems. What it has to do with COVID is that they're not comfortable, if it's private homes and things like that, having people come in, okay? So the bed bugs are just proliferating in there. They're not hiring pest control companies to come in. And a lot of the restrictions on assisted living facilities about who can come in and do what. So let me put it this way. I've heard about a lot of problems in assisted living facilities but nobody can tell me what's actually being done to address it. When maybe somebody's coming in and spraying some stuff because, yeah, the um, pest control industry is considered essential, but I don't know how thorough everybody is being. But what I'm seeing is a proliferation of bed bugs in elderly situations. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, elderly people, their immune system is old, so it doesn't react the same way as it does in younger people. So the bites, they don't tend to get all the itchiness and stuff that other people do. And one of the problems with elderly and especially low income or disabled is bed bugs are just one of their problems. I talk to social service workers all the time and show them pictures of bed bug infestations. And they're like, how can people live like that? And I'm like, these people have so many issues that bed bugs are just one of them and maybe number 17 on the priority list not number one being freaked out about having bugs in your house if this is the only problem you've ever had and you're freaking out about it you've lived a pretty luxurious (laughs) life (laughs) because there's plenty of people out, out there that have to live with them full time because they've just got other issues that take precedence over that so i think Once this is over, we're going to find out that we've got probably not like we have more infestations than we ever dreamed of, but the size of the individual infestations are going to be pretty spectacular. That's what I'm anticipating. You know, we're starting to see that, I think, with hoarders before COVID and now Mm -hmm. they're literally locked in their house. But we saw a lot of property managers, even in adult healthcare and nursing homes, opting to quicker methods than our typical chemical three treatment. They went with heat, which was more expensive, but because it was a two-day process heat and then canine follow-up, they mm-hmm. opted for that during COVID, which I'm sure it's not going to look good in their budgets, but that was one of the things that we noticed. But we are starting to see in other lower income housing where it is starting to be like, how did it get this bad? And it's like you said, for whatever reason, they're dealing with all these other things. And as long as the company that they hire has a heat system that's capable of heating the space, 
to the bed bug lethal temperature. But I'll tell you, I've been working with heat treaters just the last month, and they are not using sensors that are put in the deep, dark, hard to heat places. They're just using the laser. And bed bugs aren't on the surfaces once they get too hot. They're in cracks and crevices. And it's very hard to determine if you have gotten every crack and crevice up to 122 degrees. And some heat systems, again, are much more capable of achieving that than others. I can't believe that what you said earlier is still true so many years later that nobody could tell you what is the best heat system to use. Yeah, but hasn't been evaluated. We have new ones coming out and everybody will quote how many BTUs, that's British thermal units, and that's the amount of energy it takes to heat up a cubic foot of air. But we're using these same systems in homes of different sizes, different types of construction. And some of these heat systems are gonna work better than others. And especially when you get a lot of cubic footage and people don't think about that, they go, oh, we estimate the square feet. And then we price it based on that. But bed bugs get up in the ceiling wall junction. They're from floor to ceiling. Right. So we need to consider how much cubic footage we have to heat in there, makes it hard. We could go on a rant about proper pricing and doing the job correctly. I know that you you speak about that, especially working in the multifamily space. Yeah. It's priced so poorly that we do our best not to even get into that market because right. it's just to give you an example, and you may know this New York City Housing Authority, we looked at a bed bug bid, I want to say five years ago. And they mandated that you use suspend. Five oh, geez. Yes. Oh, geez is correct. Oh, that's ridiculous. It is that's ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> when I was very active out there, they go with old technology that somebody told them years ago worked and they don't make much of an effort into changing it. Mm -hmm. What I found, and I'm talking about roaches, we were successful if we if we had tenants meetings with the tenants on a weekly basis and got them involved. We isolated the hoarders and the breeders of roaches. And it was very heartwarming to see that now you got the tenants on your side. You're just not another guy that's going to come in here and spray. We came in with a lot of, which was very novel at the time, sealing cracks and crevices and telling them what they could do to clean up and stuff. And the weekly meetings were very helpful. They, they got on board. It doesn't work in every case, unfortunately. But And it costs your time. So you've got to make sure that they're willing to pay what it takes for what you have to put in. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on a mission to upgrade the professionalism of the pest control industry in the eyes of our customers. Okay. So nobody thinks twice about what hiring a plumber costs or hiring an electrician. And yet we have pest control operators that have to be certified in the state. They have to get regular training and continued education units and have all of this knowledge. And yet most of our customers think that the miracle is in the can. It's the spray. Right. It doesn't matter who applies it. It could be my dog but it's the spray that's the miracle. And for some reason, our industry has not promoted ourselves as these very learned, knowledgeable professionals. 
And I talk to the customers all the time because I have people calling me constantly about having bed bugs in their house. And that's part of my job is to talk to them about their pest problems. And all of them believe that they, they can do just as well as the pest control company if they have the right stuff to spray. Yeah. And we have gotten so bogged down in this image of spraying. I sat there with a group of managers in a meeting in um, Rocky Mount Public Housing in North Carolina. And the managers will say, the reason we have so many cockroaches is the company's coming in, they're not spraying the right stuff and they need more spray and they're not taking enough time to spray enough. And I'm like, spray, what are they applying? What is the spray? Nobody could tell me. And they were just like, wait, it's insecticide. And I'm like, great. <laughs> and what is the insecticide? Is it Diet Coke? Are they spraying Diet Coke? And nobody knew. So one of the problems we have with our customers is they just don't know much about us. And I was wondering about commercials and things to let people know about the type of training that pest control operators have to have. And the other problem is because U.S. HUD housing requires that you hire the lowest responsible bidder. Yeah. And I had to call HUD up and ask them what responsible meant. And they had to get off the phone with me and come back because they didn't know. And then they said that was supposed to be able to give managers some leeway as to what they would define as responsible. So, for example, they would say if you are every time your company comes on the property, they have to have five technicians working at the same time. That could be the responsible bidder. Another responsible bidder, everybody has to wear a pink shirt so they can be identified from a distance. Or responsible bidder must demonstrate that they can remove 50% of the cockroaches after the first month of treatment. But these housing managers don't realize that responsible was stuck in there for them to be able to define what they wanted. Instead, it's interpreted as registered, it has a business license in the state, registered and certified to apply pesticides. So since everybody that they're going to hire is going to be that, that brings it down just to the lowest bidder. So the way that the pest control industry is set up in many cases that you could have somebody who sold pharmaceuticals last week and is now selling pest control this week and ends up deciding to be the lowest responsible bidder to get the account and sells the account for $5 a door. But there's 4,000 units. So he makes his month. Yay, salesperson. But the thing is, then the technician has about two and a half minutes in each unit to make his production. And then he's not going to come back for three months. So there's no assessment that's being done like IPM in agriculture at all. That nobody's looking at how many roaches are there. It's pesticide application only, not pest control. So the technician only has average 49 seconds to get in the unit, only has enough time to go in there and apply and move on to the next unit. And this has contributed to a lot of people believing I can do just as well as the pest control operator with my six cans of Raid and Hotspot. And you see this in all these apartments. What mystifies me is that the resident will have a ton of their own insecticide and there's still roaches all over the place. I'm like, don't you see? This is not working. Call you Sweetwater. But you know, what I tell my students is 
this business since I got into it in 67 has changed dramatically and get away from the spray can. You now could be a chef because you're putting down bait, but you also have to be an educator. You have to take time and tell them what you're going to do. I would definitely emphasize the training and just stay back. And, and I found it to be a good selling point when some guy, some person will go in and tell them they quickly give them a, a rough estimate. You take your time before you even submit the written estimate. Tell me your training, what you're going to do, how you're going to give them daily reports, not only on what we did and what we used, but also on what they can do to alleviate some of the problems. So we have to become educators in, in, in a sense to build us, really tell the truth on how professional we are. And one of the issues with this in public housing has been, though, because the technician has so little time in there, if anybody yeah. complains, they have to have the resident out because they're going to spray and they give the resident preparation instructions. You have to empty the cabinets and all this stuff. And the resident's gone when they go in for their two minutes and come out. If anybody complains, there's still roaches there. They're like, the resident didn't clean up. They didn't prepare correctly. And that's as far as it goes. And believe me, these housing managers, if anybody complains again, you didn't clean up. We're such a litigious society. Everyone is literally just trying to cover themselves. Okay, we showed up. Here's the prep thing. You didn't follow it. And it just keeps getting passed down. We give everything to the client. We coach them through it. We do the town hall meetings. We do everything. And then once we get to the, the issue, the actual solving of it should be easy. But the person didn't prepare. Okay, let's get them to prepare another time. But it's like you said, it stops there. We did what we were mandated to do. And that's that. Okay. One of the things I'm promoting, okay, right now is assessment-based pest management. It's a different methodology where we go in, put traps in, three low-line sticky traps the night before. We quantify either by looking at it, are they high, medium, or low-level infestations? And then that determines how much bait we put out, okay? We're only using bait, no sprays, because the cockroaches are resistant. They have been for years. And there's several scientific papers talking about the fact that, yes, if you spray them directly with a spray formulation, you can kill them. But as soon as that spray is dry, they will not pick up a lethal dose. So 40 minutes later, none of them are dying anymore. So we're putting out bait in quantities like 60 grams, that's two tubes of bait, 30 grams, one tube, and that's all based on our trap catch. The other thing we are doing is not asking the resident to do any cleaning or any preparation at all. And I've got a paper that came out in 2019 documenting the fact that we can totally eliminate their cockroach populations, completely eliminate them without the resident doing anything at all. Now, is it gonna happen overnight? No, we were treating these places for about six months, especially if you start in the summer where the populations are outrageous. But if we start in the winter time where the populations are at a low, we can knock them out and not have that huge doubling, tripling, quadrupling that we see in the summer. So I'm promoting this assessment-based pest management. A lot of companies have adopted it already and been very satisfied with it. The bait is more attractive to the cockroaches than the food laying around. And we don't have to ask the resident to leave. And just like Ed was talking about, 
because we don't ask the resident to leave, we can engage them. See what we're doing? See what we're doing? Do you have a place that we want? We put the baits in these wax paper squares, then we can drop behind the refrigerator, drop in back of the stove, and they have about half a gram each in there. And we can ask the resident, is there any other place in here that you see cockroaches that you'd like us to put these bait tacos? That's what we call them. And yes, put them behind my son's bed. Can you put them in this closet? And that has been incredibly successful. The other thing I have to ask the resident to do every time, can I ask you not to spray while I've put this bait out? Oh no, I've got to spray. I have to spray. And so I've been able to say, how about this? Don't spray for three days. And then I'm going to come back and see you at the end of this month and ask you what you think. And that has worked miracles because most of these people in public housing have never been a part of their pest control at all, like Ed was saying, and nobody's ever asked them what they thought. 30 years we've been asking the residents to clean up and in public housing that's never happened. I'm like, we need to think of something else. We need to move on. And you're, I promise you, we can do it. You're drawing them into the team. They're going to become part of the team. And when the team starts to win, they start to talk to their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And it's like a really good wildfire that spreads like, oh, they all want to get on board to be on a winning team plus to get rid of the right. to get rid right. of the insects. Right. So it's yeah, that's that's and a that's, great system. It is. And again, while we're there, it takes a lot longer. It takes about 15 minutes for us to apply the 60 grams of bait. But I promise you, these apartments have not seen 60 grams of bait ever. Usually they get about two grams of bait and a bunch of spray and that's it. But the 60 grams of bait, so we're in there for a little while, but it gives us an opportunity while we're there to tell the resident what we're doing and why and ask them if they'd help us out. And asking for their opinion is a big deal because nobody's ever bothered to ask, yeah. you know? And if they understand what you're attempting to do and stuff, and then you're able to show them. One of the things that amazes me is we're making these bait tacos and we're setting them all out on the table or on the kitchen counter or wherever while we're making them. And the cockroaches who have other food sources laying right there from the dishes in the sink will come right over and start eating them there. And if you can show that to the resident, they're like, oh, because a lot of them believe that baits don't work. And I think one of the reasons is that baits are usually applied with spray. The baits get contaminated by the spray, overspray, yeah. basically. And the cockroaches just aren't interested in eating that, especially when they have other things. So we're using the bait alone and I'm using all the gel baits out there. The ones from MGK, the ones from Bayer, the ones from Syngenta and rotating them every 90 days. And the cockroaches have loved every one of them. Good times. Good news. Yeah. And the other thing about the wax paper tacos, which is really advantageous, is the cockroaches will eat the line of bait out of the taco and chew right through the wax wax paper. So at the end of the month, I can gather these wax papers up and show them all with all these chew marks all the way through them to the resident and go look at that. And they're like, wow. And that's so, another way that they're like, okay, this is the way we're going to go. The baked tacos, you said they were an issue in New York, just for people listening that don't know. What is your understanding of the DC doesn't like it, New York City doesn't like it? No, what the issue is with your regulatory agency. 
which I have spoken to. So the regulatory agency, the way that the label on the bait says that the bait is applied directly into cracks and crevices. And I've been having a discussion with them that we're taking these wax paper tacos and putting them in the exact same places in the cracks and crevices. But because the wax paper is not on the label, your regulatory agency says that it shouldn't be used that way up there. But we're working with them to try and get that changed. Because the other thing is you guys have, have seen this, I'm sure, is that you can go into a home that maybe hasn't had cockroaches and you can see the bait placements from 1998 still hanging on the walls. Yeah. And I've got a restaurant right across the street from me here at Virginia Tech. And the dining room is coated in Max Horse hydromethyl non-bate from 1998. And it's still there right this minute. So the other thing about the wax paper tacos, if the roaches don't eat the bait, that can be removed. This is the first time we can remove pesticide residues from somebody's home. I would imagine the regulatory body would uh, enjoy hearing that. A couple of things for everybody out there listening, PMPs especially, give all your technicians a putty knife to get rid of that old, no longer viable bait. You can use a putty knife, but the tacos work way better because like you said, you could just remove it. And the thing is, this is a, another way of upgrading our professionalism. We aren't just going in there and spraying. We're, as Ed said, we're having conversations with the resident about what we're doing, letting them know that we know how to handle this. And we're not sitting there using them as the excuse for why it's not working. Well, what can I do? Imagine a plumber coming in and saying he can't fix the toilet because the people keep pooping in it. So we can go in there, we have the power. I've got all the data showing that we could totally get rid of the cockroaches without asking the resident to do anything. Why? Because we're a specialized industry. We have intelligent, talented, knowledgeable people working and we can conquer the problem. We don't have to go and say, well, if the resident doesn't do it right, what can I do? And that's pest control 101. Every apartment in a building may need to be treated completely differently. You were talking about professionalism and boosting the image of the industry. That's kind of how I was raised. I was eight years old and had to put on a suit to go to a pest control association meeting. And I felt at the time, like an idiot, because it was out of 150 people, maybe 10 people were dressed in suits. This has changed over time. It's what we have promoted forever, what the podcast is about, getting people to believe more that they are a true professional in our industry. Mm -hmm. I agree with educating the customer base, but the guys that walk around in dirty dungarees and, and a wrinkled shirt, they need to buy into believing in themselves too. That's why they mm -hmm. charge 25 bucks. So I think it's a professionalism, definitely educating the customers. But once you look at yourself in the mirror and feel good about yourself, it, even if it's just a uniform, I wear a uniform almost every day for my team. I'm not in a suit every day, but I wear a suit when it's necessary. But the professionalism overall and education overall, I think starts with us internally as an industry. And mm -hmm. then we would just exude it then you don't even know, like you just find yourself sometimes and someone, you know, just talking naturally and someone would be like, I didn't even know bed bugs or roaches. Or was that serious or scientific or there was mm -hmm. all this method? Well, I can't tell you how many clients we've gotten just by 
a conversation like this where I'm telling them, you got to do this. And then have you done that? And what are you doing with the team? We just got a huge building. And the guy was like, when you said town hall meeting, nobody's ever mentioned that. And I was like, yeah, it's even in the contract that we'll do two of them a year for free. And he was like, yeah, that sold the partners on it. And we've been doing that forever, but, but we do need to start internally. I think NPMA can help with that. And I think we should promote what we actually do rather than trying to glamorize it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I just don't I think, think it shows our, our capabilities. I think instead of a, a video where you have a very country-like setting with a beautiful house and a nice little lady, we should get into these urban settings. Yeah, White House. And she's, ooh, ooh. and he's showing her like pest entryways and things like that. And then they were showing the technician working in the back of a restaurant, which looked very neat and tidy. And then there was a home with um, a bunch of people sitting in the living room that they're getting ready to go in and treat and all this. Now, what it totally did not show is some of the horrific infestations that we deal with in people's homes. And I feel like we would have a much better chance of getting a message across about what we do if we weren't promoting pest control as looking like a luxury item, okay? But actually showing the challenges that pest control operators face. Let's say we made a commercial about going into a home in low-income housing where there are just yeah. clusters of German cockroaches everywhere. And then that technician is able to go in there, do some baiting or whatever, talk to the resident, would say, okay, don't spray anything. I'm going to be back this month and ask you what you think, and then show the difference. And I think we should promote what we actually do rather than trying to glamorize it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I just don't I think, think it shows our, our capabilities. I think instead of a, a video where you have a very country-like setting with a beautiful house and a nice little lady. We should get into these urban settings. Yeah. Next time on Colony Confidential. You were talking about professionalism and boosting the image of the industry. That's kind of how I was raised. I was eight years old and had to put on a suit to go to a pest control association meeting. And I felt at the time like an idiot because it was out of 150 people, Maybe 10 people were dressed in suits. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and review. Send us anything you want us to know about at colonyconfidential at gmail.com. So how I got started in pest control is obvious through my father. My name is Edward J. Sheehan. Joseph P. Sheehan, Colony Pest Management, Brooklyn, New York. So Colony Confidential is about money. I said I want cash. Business. This particular technician is the reason that we have to ask every potential employee, and are you afraid of bugs? Get out of here. Family. Of course, my beloved mother told me I hit the bottom of the barrel. They had sent me to a good Catholic education, and now I'm the goddamn rat catcher. And he asked me if I wanted to take the business over, and uh, I didn't Hell. at all. I hated pest control, but probably more so working for the family business. Working with family is the toughest <laughs> thing you'll ever have to do. Or it could be the best. Mint. Colony Confidential. This all has to be edited, deleted, and burned.